Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Cassandra. I have Cassandra here, and she is the creator of a really amazing Instagram account called the Unbound Network. All one word, no underscores or hyphens or anything. And she is the mother to Mari, and she's a mom advocate. And I asked her to come on the show today to share her and Mari's journey through the world of ties. So welcome, Cassandra. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, there's so many places that I'm sure we're going to go today as we're chatting. Um, But I don't know if you found me or I found you. But as soon as I found your page, I was like, this is so amazing. This is like what I... I want parents to see, I I need to update my tongue tie guide that I give all of my clients with a link to your Instagram, because the content you're putting out is so well explained. And I kind of feel like I'd rather just share your posts than reinvent the wheel because they're just so good. And you really get it um, because you've just been through it. So I'm excited for us to dive in and talk about your journey with you and Mari. Um, and I actually just for the audience, cause they probably haven't seen your page, you know, just, just tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a mom and, uh, anything you'd like to do to just let us know a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. So first, thank you for those amazing compliments. That means a great deal. Um, yeah, so I am mom to my amazing 14 month old daughter, Mari. Um, She was born at the very beginning of the global pandemic in May of 2020. um, After four years of infertility struggles, so she is our wonderful, tenacious, vibrant sunshine of a rainbow baby. Um, I'm very lucky to be her mom. (laughs) Um, And the journey that we had um, and and are still on. Um, was very challenging, especially in the beginning. Um, my goal was to be a, you know, first time mom who exclusively nursed and breastfed my baby. And from day one, we had struggles. So I have, um, created the Unbound Network to just sort of share where where we went and and where we are and um, try to spread information and education to other parents um, because the journey was really tough for us and it's really tough for a lot of parents. Mm, Yeah, I love that so much. I wish you were around when I became a mom eight years ago because I think I would have found uh, so much support and just solace and and you sharing what you've gone through. And you answered one of my questions, which was, did you plan on breastfeeding? So you did. I did. Um, 
and you had struggles from day one, like you said. Uh, And, you know, you and I both know that's not always the case when it comes to this stuff, but Mm -hmm. what was it like? How, how did you, how did the struggles present themselves and what did you experience? Yeah. So, um, so the first day, um, so Mari was born around noon and by about 6 PM, um, my nipples were already very cracked and painful and starting to bleed. And, um, Mari had nursed pretty consistently. Um, she would nurse for a couple of minutes and then she would fall asleep. And then she would nurse for a couple of minutes and fall asleep. And it was a seemingly endless cycle of this. But of course, she's brand new to the world. And she's been through, you know, we had a very, very long labor and she's exhausted. So of course she's tired. Um, and pineapples are hurting. I've never done this before. And so, um, you know, it, it all just sort of immediately and initially f- seemed normal and expected. Um, we left the hospital pretty quickly, about 30 hours after Mari was born. We had been there for multiple days. And um, we had seen a lactation consultant um, the morning after Mari was born. And she came in for a few minutes and, you know, looked at Mari's latch and I explained that it was painful and she could see the chapping and the blisters that had already started and, um, you know, the bleeding that was already happening. And she helped me get a better latch, which was like the first time it had not been painful. And then within, you know, maybe 15 seconds, Mari's lip was right back to being tucked in and it was painful again. And, um, you know, it was just sort of stated that we just kind of had to practice and we had to, you know, just, just keep working on her latch. So we went home and I continued to nurse her as often as she wanted, which was very, very often, again, seemingly expected. Um, and still it would be, you know, she would nurse for a couple of minutes and then she'd fall asleep. And nothing we did would keep her up. The nurses originally told us like, oh, she's, she's a lazy feeder or a lazy nurser. Just strip her down and keep her cool and tickle her feet or her back. Try to keep her awake. And I mean, really nothing we did would, would work. She was just, she was just asleep. And then she'd wake up immediately and be hungry again. Um, and, you know, when, when we were nursing, um, she would arch her back and she would kick and she would push off and grunt. She had this very cute little grunt that she would do. And, you know, um, it, it all didn't, um, didn't initially seem to be an abnormal experience, um, because everybody said that it wasn't. And so we just kind of continued, but day three, um, we had a decrease in her diapers and that was a little concerning. She slept a lot that day. And I remember my husband and I talking about, you know, how tired she was and what a sleepy newborn she was. And, um, and at some point that day I had her wrapped in a yellow blanket and I thought, wow, this yellow blanket really is making an impact on the complexion of Mari's skin. Like she looks, she looks yellow in this blanket. 
And our first pediatric pediatrician appointment was um, day four, the morning of day four, around 10 a.m. 20 minutes before we left the house, my milk came in. So we went to the pediatrician's office and she took one look at Mari and her face changed. And she said to us, this baby needs help. Oh, no. And my entire body just sank. And she looked at us and she said, she is um, barely responsive. I need to get formula in her now. Wow. Is that okay? Of course. Yes. Like, okay. So she went and she got a little, you know, a little bottle of formula and gave it to Mari and her eyes kind of opened a little bit, which in retrospect was the first time in a few hours that she had had her eyes open. And, you know, we just really, I feel incredibly guilty about this, but we didn't realize what was really happening, which was that she was lethargic and, um, and had just had started to develop jaundice and um it was a really scary moment and so she was able to give her the bottle um mari took very very little of it and um our pediatrician asked if i wanted to try nursing her she she asked if we wanted to do a weighted feed so we did she said she was going to give us 10 minutes and in that time she expected x milliliters to be transferred and you know we would go from there and she ended up being delayed and Mari nursed and we went back and forth from nursing and sleeping and nursing and sleeping over the course of about 25 minutes. And Mari had transferred like one fifth of what the pediatrician wanted to see. And so that, that was our, I mean, that was our first four days. Things um, didn't go well and it was pretty scary actually. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I am, I am like, it's a page turner. I'm right there with you as you're telling this. And I just have to say that your memory is incredible. Like (laughs) I find that there for me to remember, I mean, the fact that you even knew what time the pediatrician appointment was (laughs) when you're just like new mom fog, you're incredible. And yeah, I, I find, you know, gosh, it's a fine line as like a lactation professional to uh, kind of do a wait and see or tell someone it's okay, things will improve versus, you know, really needing to intervene, right? Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, yeah, you're out of the hospital and now you're home with this baby and you're not going to have anyone check her for a couple days. So that's a big window of time in you know, a baby's really early life. So I think mm-hmm. you captured that beautifully with what you were saying. So, so you did that weighted feed. Things were not what the doctor was hoping for. I am actually impressed that the doctor knew to do a weighted feed. That yeah. was like, wow, I wish more would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel at that point? And what was the plan you were given going, going forward? Yeah. So I'll say that that day, um, is definitely in like my top five worst days of my life. Mm -hmm. I felt, um, 
really guilty for not seeing it, for not understanding. Um, And as I mentioned, she was born in May 2020. So one of the reasons we had to go on day four versus earlier to see her pediatrician or a pediatrician really was because so many doctors in our area were actually furloughed because of COVID. Mm. And, um, you know, lactation support in the way that it is typically regularly available wasn't available to us at that time. Um, So there were a lot of emotions about just, you know, knowing that our daughter was not doing well, feeling all of that um, guilt and heartache and sadness and, um, and just sort of being in the situation that we were. The plan um, was because my milk was just coming in, um, that the goal really was just to get Mari fed, to make sure that she could get nutrients and that she was having um, diapers that needed to be changed, you know, a certain number within a certain period of time. We were scheduled to go back to the pediatrician the following day, about 24 hours later, to make sure that things were looking okay and, and monitoring that. Um, so really, it was 24 hours of being completely focused on making sure that she got fed. And for us, that meant um, nursing. And um, I, I would nurse for about 45 minutes. Again, she would fall asleep and wake back up and fall asleep. And I would do that for about 45 minutes. And then after we would give her a bottle of formula and she would drink it so fast and she didn't fall asleep the whole time. And I was like, oh, wow, she, she really likes formula. Um, you know, she really likes this bottle. So there was also some confusion there for me as well. Like, I remember questioning, you know, why is she staying awake for the bottle and and is falling asleep when I'm trying to nurse her and thinking like, oh, maybe she's just really cozy with me and it's comforting. And like, of course, that's probably true, but there were much bigger things at play. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. That makes so much sense. And it's interesting to hear your, your perspective of that. Um, I know a lot of times some moms will feel too, like the baby doesn't like breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. They like the bottle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, it's not really a personal uh, opinion or (laughs) they're not, they're not quite there yet developmentally. Um, but yeah, this is a very, very common thing that happens. Um, and, uh, were you advised at all to also pump or was it just breastfeed and give bottles of formula? Yeah, that's a great question. So at that point, the only guidance I really had was from our pediatrician and truly her perspective was get the baby fed, get Mari fed, get her healthy, get some weight on her, um, By day four, she had lost um, over 15% of her body weight and she was born at under seven pounds. So she was not a a big baby. Um, So that goal was really the focus. Um, Her pediatrician, I think, really wanted to not pressure me to nurse, to breastfeed, um, 
to the point where I think it sort of, um, I think she wanted to make sure that I didn't feel like I was failing. But my goal was to exclusively nurse her. Mm. So, um, you know, the, the push for formula, which in our early days was clearly very necessary, um, was really the focus. I started pumping, um, three weeks in, it got to the point where Mari was just constantly nursing and I was in so much pain that I just really got to the point where I said, I can't, I can't, I can't go through this anymore. Um, and also started to question, you know, what was wrong with me, with my pain threshold or my body that so many women for, you know, so many years have done this and I can't, you know, why, why am I not able to work through this and just push through? Um, but ultimately I just realized that physically it was taking a toll on my body and that I needed something to give. So I decided because I still wanted to nurse her and and Mari was still very interested in nursing. She was always rooting and looking for my breast. And it was something that we both, you know, I think naturally she wanted just from a survival perspective and something that I wanted from a connection perspective. So I, um, I decided to move to a, a system that worked for us for quite some time, which was that I nursed her once a day. It was always the morning feed when I was most full it was easiest for her. She fussed less at the breast, I noticed, in the mornings. Um, so I would nurse her in the morning and I would pump immediately after and I continued pumping throughout the day and um, eventually transitioned to exclusively pumping and did that for 11 months. Wow. Wow. I mean, so amazing. I I, uh, I like that you recognize kind of what your own limit was and I like that you mentioned how that experience shaped how you felt about you, mm. right? So um, I, my therapist likes to tell me that humans are meaning-making machines, right? So any event that happens in our life, we find a way. It's just the way our brains work. We want to make sense of the world, so we make a meaning of something. Uh, and so your brain made this meaning that something was wrong with you. Why couldn't Mm -hmm. you tolerate the pain? Right. Um, and just a, a quick side note, I will never forget one time I had, um, a patient book an appointment. She came into my office and, um, I said, you know, what are your, what are your goals with breastfeeding? And she started crying and she said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just want you to teach me how to tolerate the pain better. Mm. And I was like, And I think I had my intern at the time and I like looked at her and I looked at this mom and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) I am not going to do that for you today. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with you. You're in pain. Let's fix it. And she was like, but it's just every other mom can do it. Right. (laughs) And I was like, no, most other moms give up. (laughs) So Thank you for sharing that because gosh, there's so much that goes into it, right? Um, so you're you were ending up exclusively pumping. Then did you find at some point you no longer needed the formula with her that you were able to just provide breast milk? 
A great question. So, um, so I exclusively pumped until 11 months, um, as of six, when Mari was six months old, um, six or seven months old, we stopped, um, our sort of nursing session. Um, what I didn't know was that by the time I started pumping at three weeks, my supply was nothing. Um, I had been experiencing multiple levels of pain. Again, I just assume like, oh, it's, it's part of breastfeeding, right? Wrong. Um, you know, so beyond the chapped nipples and, and all of that, I also had for a few days um, genuine pain. I now understand that. Um, and I knew that I had a clogged duck, but that um, I believe was the moment that my body said, oh, if you're not actually needing this milk, we're going to stop producing it. So by three weeks, when I started pumping, my supply was very, very minimal. Um, I was pumping about half an ounce combined per day. Eventually, I was able to get that up to four and then started to see progress and slow progress. So over the course of about six weeks, um, maybe seven, I was able to go from half an ounce to producing on average about 20 a day. We had one single day in Mari's life where she was exclusively breast milk fed (laughs) just one day. Um, So my supply never fully recovered, but I was able to get to a point that I never thought I would be able to when I first started, honestly. When you are working so hard to try to produce milk and you are getting droplets and you're tapping those droplets out of the bottle to hope that you can provide a single sip to your infant. Those are really tough moments. And um, that journey and process was really difficult. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's incredible that you kept going despite kind of getting uh no real positive feedback loop going on, right? Yeah. Um, so when did you, or maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse, but how did you find out about Mari having ties of any yeah. kind? And yeah. where, what point in the journey did that happen? Yeah, so, um, so it sort of came about in a really um, strange way, I think. Um, I had done a virtual meeting, um, with our local chapter of the La Leche League. And, um, I had been told from the beginning that the issues that we were having had to be connected to my low supply. When I started pumping and saw that I was producing nothing, I was like, well, yeah, of course. Um, I have PCOS. So it was assumed that my PCOS was why I didn't have adequate supply. And so I, I, I went to this virtual meeting and, um, one of the leaders, um, sent me some incredible information about the correlation between PCOS and hormonal imbalances and low milk supply and what can be done and, you know, why it happens. So I kind of started down this like research rabbit hole of why do I have low supply? It just so happens that I have a friend um, who's who has a son who's much older than Mari. He's around uh, 14 years old right now. 
And at some point years ago, we had talked about how she, as somebody also with PCOS, struggled to nurse. And I happened to text her and say, like, hey, like, did you ever have success or do you have any tips for me? Like, you know, what can you share with me? And she shared that in addition to having PCOS, that her pediatrician told her that, quote, her milk was bad um, and discovered that her son had a high palate. And we just sort of talked about, you know, all of these challenges that we both faced separately. Um, and out of empathy, I, I started down another research rabbit hole about what does it mean to have a high palate? What, what is that? And I remember Mari was sleeping next to me. It was like two in the morning and I totally should have been sleeping, but I just was so interested in everything that I was sort of learning. I, I went from high palate and low milk supply to learning about oral restrictions. And I happened across this mom's blog where she just talked all about about the experience she had her child. And I just started sobbing. It was so reflective of everything that we were struggling with and made me realize things that I didn't even know we were struggling with, or more specifically that Mari was struggling with. And there was this moment where I was like, wow, I, I have cracked the case. I know what's going on. And I closed up my computer. I felt a lot of relief and a little hope. And I was like, in the morning, I'm going to figure this out. And so the next morning, I happened to have a client who is a dentist, doesn't specialize in, in pediatric dentistry um, or ties, but um, we're close and I trust her. And I was like, hey, you know, do you know anything about tongue ties or lip ties? And she was like, I know a little bit why. And so I just sort of explained what was going on. And she's like, well, send me some photos. I sent some photos of um, Mari's lip. And she was like, oh, oh yeah, that, that does look a little alarming, but I, I'm not really sure. She sent me to a resource, a friend um, that she has who is a pediatric dentist. And she came back and was like, yeah, this looks concerning and, and you should have it, you know, addressed. Talk to your pediatrician. And uh, we did that. We were referred to an ENT after our pediatrician told me that um, lip ties don't affect nursing and that uh, tongue ties are a fad and that moms are choosing to have surgeries done to their babies like Botox. And, uh, you know, I left that. Wait, hold on. And- are moms doing <laughs> Botox on their babies? <laughs> I- <laughs> I mean, she was saying like, you know, Botox is a choice, right? Moms are doing (laughs) Botox and why, while they're at it, why not add a cosmetic surgery for their child, right? For their infant. Um, so crazy. Yeah. So after that appointment and, and correspondences, she referred us to an ENT. That was also a terrible experience. Um, and I left that visit. I mean, the being told that the issues that we were having had nothing to do with ties, because in this ENT's experience, only once had he ever seen a tongue or lip tie that actually affected nursing. So 
the likelihood that that's what was happening was highly improbable, he says, um, and, and proceeded to tell me that sometimes for moms and babies who are trying to nurse, they just don't connect and that that needs to be okay. And as a first time mom, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm looking into things and, you know, he confirmed via the virtual, um, session that we had that Mari had a lip tie. He had us kind of lift up her lip and he was like, oh yeah, she has a lip tie. You're not gonna, you're not gonna worry about that. Don't address it. Um, if you decide to, it won't be till she's at least six years old, but why don't we have a follow-up in three months just to make sure things are going okay. Definitely doesn't have a tongue tie. So I was super confused, understandably, right? So confused. And I sat on all of that, on all of those opinions, um, personal and medical opinions that I had received for a couple of days and felt like really low and also felt silly and a little crazy. Like, oh, well, I guess there's no possible way that I could, I could diagnose my child with something, right? And 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 that even though this mom who shared the exact same experience with me years ago in a completely different part of the country says that this is what was going on with her child, apparently that's not what's happening with my child. So I sat with those feelings for a few days, and um, and then I just kept going back to like, but that dentist said, and, but this other mom experienced this. And what if they actually don't know what they're talking about? Which felt really arrogant of me to think, because who am I? I'm not a medical or health professional. I'm just a mom, right? And Right. (laughs) I'm just a mom. And you're, I I wanted to chime in and say, you're making me think of that meme that says a worried mother does better research than the FBI. Like when someone says I'm just a mom, like, no, moms are, (laughs) moms are powerful. Everything, right. Moms are everything. But when you are being told by the medical and health professionals that you're supposed to trust to guide you and your baby and you feel that they are possibly or probably wrong that's a really layered process to go through emotionally and of course in the meantime as i'm researching and continuing to kind of look into this i'm learning you know what it means to fix a lip tie, because at this point we only understood that Mari had a lip tie, um, you know, and, and that meant surgery and that means pain and insurance doesn't cover it because she's not over the age of six. And my husband is like, well, they said this, but you're finding this. So we're just in this really kind of strange place. And um, I eventually found, um, of all things, a Facebook support group. And I, um, I, I requested to be part of this group and I submitted this post that honestly, I think if you printed it out was like four pages long. I was like, (laughs) here's, here's what we've experienced from day one. Here's what I have researched. 
here's what I have been told by my pediatrician and by an ENT that I saw. But I had read through in that group other moms' recollections and recounts of what they experienced. And again, saw so many similarities. And I just, in that very long post, I was like, I just don't know what to do. And I was so shocked and eternally grateful that, I mean, I think it was like 70 moms and medical professionals and health professionals came and commented and like pointed things out that they noticed in the photos that I had posted and called out, you know, the things that they felt needed to be called out. And they were like, you need a lactation consultant immediately and you need to make sure that they're trained in oral restrictions and ties and you need to find a chiropractor for your little girl and you need to find a pediatric dentist and here's some resource for you to look at. And I was like, oh, we have a community that's trying to help. And all of these people who are saying, trust your instincts. And that was how, that was the whole process. It was really long. and ultimately exactly what we needed to find we did Mm, so Mari was six weeks old when this started um she was seven weeks old when we were able to get an appointment with a local chiropractor who also performs craniosacral therapy um, and specializes in treating infants and children with oral restrictions, amongst other things. Um, we had extreme difficulty finding a lactation consultant at the time because of COVID. Um, I mean, in general, finding a, a Thai educated lactation consultant can be challenging, but certainly during that time it was. And um, we had Mari's releases ultimately done at 10 weeks old. Um, we learned that she had a significant upper lip tie and that she had um, a, a extreme posterior tongue tie. We also at the time learned that she had um, small, tiny buckle ties on her upper cheeks on both sides. Um, it was believed at that time that they were not impacting her struggle, um, but certainly known by the severity and the thickness of her lip tie that that was an issue um, and that her tongue was significantly restricted. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that it was kind of this long time of finding and figuring things out, which it was, especially when you're in it all day, Mm -hmm. every day with this little baby. Um, but then I kind of have like a different bird's eye view as an IBCLC and I'm like, well, you found out a lot more quickly than a lot of people, (laughs) which is sad, right? Like, you know, um, one of the things that I like about what you're telling us is that there are, there's a lot of questions I get from parents, which is when, when they do find out about the ties, however they do beyond that newborn stage. And they say, oh, well, I guess, I guess we're just kind of screwed. Like, Mm. you know, and I'm like, no, 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 you can still Mm -hmm. treat it. So thank you for sharing about the timeline and everything, because 
even if you're finding this out in a six month old, um, right. it, it absolutely can still be treated and it's going to be kind of, you know, a similar thing to what you were saying. So, um, you sounds like in that group that you were in, you were directed to all the right things. Yeah. And so you started with the body work and then you got the release and then, uh, did you end up finding a lactation consultant to work with or no, because they they weren't available with COVID and everything? Yeah. So we found, we ultimately, I was able to find a lactation consultant actually before the release. I think some, I, I want to say probably around seven weeks, I was able to find one, but at that time, everyone was on lockdown uh, yeah. and the virtual sessions for IBCLCs and lactation consultants wasn't really, they weren't really happening yet because nobody had those systems established yet. So, um, I was able to find a wonderful IBCLC who was a retired nurse and we, um, texted and I sent videos and photos over the course of like, you know, multiple days. Um, we had multiple phone conversations and she, you know, as best we could just navigated what we could. Um, we were also at that time when, by the time we found her, we were maybe three weeks into a battle with brush. And so, um, and I had just started pumping and, you know, so having somebody to guide us and confirm that what we were experiencing was probably linked to Mari's ties um, and helped to guide me in my pumping journey. And, and frankly, what actually is really a a relactation journey essentially, um, and help guide us with dealing with brush and all of that was really, really helpful. Um, yeah, we did the best we could. (laughs) So yeah, you, you did. And really quite resourceful, um, because gosh, going through all of this in the midst of COVID, especially the beginning of COVID is crazy. Um, I saw colleagues who just were like, I'm going to close my practice. And I'm like, wait, no, (laughs) we can't, no, let's just get you set up on telehealth or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. or, um, but it was hard because we were sort of the last, you know, the bottom of the barrel in terms of like getting PPE. So like my neighbor, for instance, who works with cancer patients in the hospital, they were sewing homemade masks. (laughs) And so what am I, what am I going to get when we can't even have this nurse who works in oncology with actual PPE, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a big fear for so many and just so crazy. So I'm glad that you were so um, resourceful really and being able to get connected to these people during that time. That's incredible. Uh, Now I did want to ask you about going, going in for the procedure. Mm. How are you feeling about that? You got your answers, but I mean, were you like, okay, yeah, we're ready. This is great. Let's do it. Or did you feel anything else about that? Yeah. I mean, I think excitement was definitely not on the list. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, usually not. So yeah. That's why I ask. <laughs> there, there were a lot, there were a lot of layers. So, so first I'll say, um, I am very, very lucky to have an incredible partner. My husband is amazing. And I I know most, most wives say that, but you know, he was not convinced that I was onto something through this whole process. 
when we saw the medical professionals initially that we did um, and got the responses that we did, he didn't pack things up. He wasn't like, okay, that's it. You know, it's, it's over. But he was like, should we listen to them? You know, like you found this random mom blog, like who knows that woman could be crazy. Right. Um, and so as things kind of continued, um, he was nervous. He was nervous about all of it as I, but I, I think for, um, for different reasons, you know, I was most concerned that we were intentionally, potentially going to put Mari through pain and that we didn't know for sure if going through that process would help her. Mm. That, that was a significant conflict within both my husband and I. Um, just this, this thought of, well, what if we do it and it means nothing? That was very heavy for us. Um, and, you know, with all of that, though, I really just had this innate feeling, this gut instinct that said, this is what's happening. And this seems to be the only way to help her. And I would do anything for my daughter. And maybe, maybe that also means having to put her through this one minute procedure and three weeks of stretches so that she can maybe have a chance of not being colicky, not having extreme painful gas every day, and not having to arch her back when she is laying down because she's in pain, and having the ability to close her mouth and not just drool and control milk when she's sucking on her bottle. Like maybe, just maybe, this will help her. Going in for the procedure, um, as I mentioned, she was 10 weeks old. And at that time, lockdown restrictions were fully, were fully there in Boston, in the area that we're in. And one parent was allowed to go in. They suggested that if I was still nursing at the time I was, um, that I, I nurse immediately following the procedure. So that automatically meant that my husband stayed in the parking lot and we FaceTimed in. Um, so the whole process was really difficult and they took, um, they showed me how to do post-care stretches with Mari and, um, and with my husband again through, through FaceTime. And we filled out some more paperwork and they told me they were going to take her out back and swaddle her and put some glasses on her and take some photos and they would be back as soon as they could. And they took her away, which was the first time ever that she had been away from me ever. She, you know, we didn't have visitors and nobody was there to help us because of COVID. And, you know, it was the first time she was out of my sight. and. I could, I just remember her screaming and crying. I was like, oh, heartbroken, like sobbing in, in the dental chair. My husband on FaceTime in front of me, also in tears. And there is this moment where her screeches 
and her crying got more intense. And I thought, oh my goodness, why did we do this? Why are we putting her through this? And oh, I'm getting teary eyed. <laughs> and, um, and the nurse brought her back to me and she was crying so loud and it was so forceful. And I thought to myself before I could see her, I thought this was a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. She was just tortured. This is, this was a horrible decision. And they handed her to me and I looked down and I realized for the first time ever that her tongue was hitting the roof of her mouth. Wow. And you know, in cartoons, when they show a baby crying, sometimes the tongue will kind of billow. Her tongue was doing that. And her mouth was so wide open that I could see all of the thrush plaques that she had for the first time. And in that split second, as I'm undoing my nursing bra to try to bring her to my breast, I thought, whoa, this was absolutely the right call. Look at what she is already able to do differently. I placed her on my breast and she nursed. And instead of falling asleep in a minute, she fell asleep in two minutes, which (laughs) felt like a great victory. (laughs) Oh, for Um, sure. Yeah, there was still pain, but not as much pain. And um, she immediately fell asleep, like really fell asleep. Um, I put her in her car seat. By the time we got to the car, she was just, she was passed out. And, you know, the procedure going through that process was really hard. Making the decision to do it was really hard. But I know without question that my daughter would be an incredibly different child right now had we not pursued it. She, I realized later, was suffering on so many levels because of this challenge and to think that she could have gone through those struggles and more for more than two and a half months that really breaks my heart so when I see other kids other infants other babies struggling I go right back to that thought of, well, that baby is seven months old and they're still really struggling. And that absolutely could have been Mari. And it makes me so sad. It really breaks my heart. Mm. I love that you shared that and how probably just in a matter of seconds after the procedure, you went from, oh, we totally messed up to, oh, there was no other way we could have done this. Yep. Um, And I think that is a really common thought process for moms and dads. Yeah. Um, Because when you are on the other side, which is, I feel like a lot of my job when I work with people before and after the ties getting released is just supporting them through that, that really big hump of procedure Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, I've seen it 
so many times that I know what the other side looks like. And there is a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. But when you're at the top of that rainbow, it looks like you're going to fall down and crash to your death. Like it is not a pretty sight and Mm -hmm. it is really hard. And as much as, you know, like you said, the procedure when you had it done for Mari was quick and she was in pain, but then she calmed down and Mm -hmm. she fell asleep, which is totally normal response when you've been through something like that. Right. Um, for her, it was a much smaller blip in time that wasn't entangled with the complications of our adult human emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and all that sort of doubt and, and having to trust and, you know, wow, gosh, just so much. So you and your husband, poor, poor guy. I love that you FaceTimed though. He probably felt so helpless, right? He's in the car. You're crying. He hears his child screaming. He's crying. We're all crying. We're all crying and we're all in different, different spaces. Oh my goodness. You know, that is, that is so hard. Um, gosh, I've assisted with a number of phrenectomies during that time. And I can't say that anyone FaceTimed their husband. Um, probably not intentionally. Um, there isn't a good signal in the building that we do it in. So maybe that's why, but, yeah. uh, I love you guys did that. What was it like? You get, you get Mary, Mari home. Then, then what, what are things like then? Is it better? Yeah. Um, yeah so, so we had actually, luckily we had this amazing body worker that we found and we had had a few sessions with her prior to Mari's release. And we had already seen some really important improvements. She would go through bouts of going from um, extreme constipation to having massive blowouts. Um, I know and understand now, but didn't at the time that she was an excessively tense baby. So having those few sessions before the release actually started to show progress in terms of her digestive system overall. Um, But so she would, after every session, undoubtedly, she would, um, she would poop in the car ride home every single time, (laughs) like without, like without question, it was just bound to happen. And and actually it was funny because my husband, um, when we would go to these appointments, you know, it looks like they're not doing anything. They're just kind of holding your infant. And you're like, is this even going to make a difference? And it wasn't until the third appointment prior to release that my husband was like, so I guess this is helping. And I was like, oh, for sure. Right. Like she was actually like having movements, which was great. Um, she always had a really very hard and distended belly. And I just assumed that it was always due to constipation, which certainly there was a portion to that. But within the first six hours of the release, post-release, I gave Mari a bath, a nice warm bath. I took a bath with her and I noticed that her belly was less firm. Aw, yay. That's interesting, right? Um, Nursing still continued to be a bit of a struggle for us, um, but she wasn't falling asleep as easily or as quickly that felt like progress. Um, She stopped being as colicky almost immediately. 
She cried a lot less. And so we started to actually see immediate progress and immediate positive signs and and shifts in her symptoms and her struggles within the first, let's say, six to eight hours. The next morning, um, you know, I had only nursed her a couple of times during the day, which, as I mentioned previously, we were really only nursing once in the morning up until that point. So the next, and I, you know, I continued to pump and we continued to give her bottles for the majority of, of the day of her release. So the next morning comes and, you know, I get the pillow set up the very specific way that Mari liked. And she only nursed on one breast and in one specific position. And I get, I get us all set up and she nurses. And for the first time, I can feel that she has drained my breast. Right, right. So exciting. I timed it. She did it in just over eight minutes, which was such a drastic change from our 45 to 60 minute sessions of falling asleep and waking up and then her not actually doing it and having to pump afterwards anyways, and then give her a bottle, right? This whole triple feeding process. Um, So she drained my breast in eight minutes. She stayed awake the whole time. Her hand was on my body and she's kind of playing around. And I was like, oh, this is different. And it was actually, I think, perhaps most remarkably and most notably, the first time I remember enjoying, really enjoying nursing her versus just enjoying the idea of nursing her. Is so impactful. And it makes so much sense considering where you were at. And I love that you pointed out a few times how Mari was suffering. Yeah. Right? She was uncomfortable in her body. Um, and all of these things that it was this cascade of, of symptoms that occurred because of her ties. And I find so many parents are hesitant to put their baby through the pain of the procedure. But mm-hmm. like you said, it was just a minute. Yes. And what, what we wouldn't do as parents to trade one minute of acute pain that then ends and heals versus weeks or months or possibly years of chronic. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. And, and that point right there, Jacqueline, that is, that is the conversation that my husband and I had that ultimately led us to agreeing and feeling as comfortable as we could in the decision to pursue her release. That's really what it was. She's already in so much pain. She is suffering. If there is a chance, why wouldn't we take it? Mm, Yes. And you too were in pain, right? Mm. So so you weren't nursing very often directly at the breast because of that. And I know sometimes it comes up, I don't know if this came up for you, where moms will say, well, that's selfish of me to put my baby through pain, so I'm not in pain. Mm. Did you encounter any thoughts or feelings around that? I have to say, I think I I was lucky that I understood pretty early on that her issues, while I was experiencing problems and pain because of them, I realized and understood that her issues were far beyond me. They were beyond my pain. They were beyond my cracked, chapped, 
blistered nipples, that her challenges were something that she was really living with and struggling with. I was, you know, a peripheral recipient of those struggles, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I, I like that you and your husband were able to come together and make this decision for your daughter jointly. Were there any other, obviously you didn't have, you know, close physical contact with anyone because of the pandemic, but were there extended family members, friends that you had clued into this journey? And if, if you did, where were they at on it? Cause sometimes we get some unsolicited opinions about things. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious how that went. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I'm, I'm lucky that we have, um, we have a, a decent number of family members in, in our, in our family. Um, the whole, you know, COVID isolation was very, very difficult for my family though. Um, not just my immediate, like the, our little trio, but my, my family in general, um, I'm the oldest of four and have separated parents. So I have many, many different pockets of family. And, you know, we had really been trying to do our best to keep everyone up to date on how Mari was doing. Um, But the reality was, one, we didn't realize the extent of which she was suffering until later. And two, because the vast majority of our family actually works with the public and we had to be in isolation because for two weeks after leaving the hospital, because we were potentially, you know, at risk of contracting and then passing off the virus. And because they worked with the public, we actually, um, you know, my family didn't hold her for a very long time. We always stayed distant. So because of that, I was really, I mean, we were constantly sending photos. I checked uh, the other day in like May, 2020, and we were just home. Um, We didn't go really anywhere with Mari, but in that month, I took like 10,000 photos, which is so (laughs) ridiculous. Um, But we were really focused on sharing, you know, who she was. And I didn't... um, I didn't, I wasn't intentionally doing this, but we didn't share all of the struggles because we didn't want that to be part of the story for Mari and how our family experiences her. Um, You know, I did certainly bring, you know, information to and, and share some of the struggles we were having with my parents and my sister, who's now actually a caregiver for Mari. Um, But a lot of it was really sort of just, just my husband and I. Wow. I like what you said about not wanting to focus on her struggles. Yeah. Right. You didn't want to make her identity as this new family member about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, really beautiful. Actually, I kind of, wow. I'm like tearing up a little bit. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask that you touched on is, how, what advice would you give going through this to parents on finding medical and healthcare professionals that they can trust when it Mm. comes to these kinds of issues? Mm. Because I know that there's, it's like a struggle for me because I'm like, well, I am a healthcare provider, but I'm telling you 
not to trust most healthcare providers, healthcare providers opinion on this. Um, and I don't, it's like, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Like I didn't, well, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't want to sound sanctimonious or anything, but I made it my mission before I became an IBCLC to get really educated on ties because that was yeah. my driver for becoming one. So it wasn't like I was a lactation consultant who didn't know and I learned later, but I was a parent just like you, right? So how do we, we're not trying to insult anybody, but how do we guide parents? How do we get them to find the right people where they don't have to spend all of these weeks like you did trying to figure it out themselves? How can we get them connected sooner? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is, this is such a huge struggle. Um, so, so first I'll say, I think there are a lot of um, people in the medical and health industry that truly innocently just don't know. Right. And yeah. You can certainly make the argument that at this point, because this is not something new and because it is a common struggle, that they should, right? That they should be educated. They should have the knowledge. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that sometimes, innocently, they just don't know. But what I experienced and, and my experience within this was to a much lesser degree than what many other moms have shared with me. Um, but my experience was that I had medical professionals share misinformation and gaslight me and just declare what was happening and diagnose without having the proper comprehension of what it was they were talking about to diagnose. When I have an ENT tell me, yeah, your daughter has a lip tie, but they don't impact breastfeeding or nursing. And that's, you know, not a big deal. And there's no way that she has a tongue tie because her tongue can hit her lips and he doesn't perform or doesn't have us perform a comprehensive oral function assessment. This is a big word, but that feels negligent to me. So I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that sometimes we have to bypass people. Yeah. Again, I struggled with that and feeling a lot of like, a lot of feelings about that. Like, am I arrogant? Am I crazy? Am I, am I just losing it? Am I obsessing? Am I fixating on something? You know, should I really just stop and listen to what they're saying? But at the end of the day, for I think a multitude of reasons, many of which are very perplexing to me, ties are controversial. They shouldn't be, but they are. And so my advice to parents is to seek out the true professionals who can speak to and educate on and have been educated on and have extensive experience in oral restrictions. That is a tricky thing to recommend because I think it's also important to acknowledge from a parent's perspective that those professionals do profit financially from this struggle. 
all medical and health professionals profit from ailments though, right? And I had to hold to the belief that anyone who is advocating for and focusing on supporting infants and children and families through this struggle are doing it because they understand the problem, because they understand the struggle, and that they're not actually doing it to make a quick buck. So, yeah, I think also, I think you need to trust your instincts, even in the face of people telling you not to. I think that's so important. You know, it's, it's been interesting for me, you know, I don't do the procedure to release the ties, but I've seen that argument, you know, oh, they're charging so much for (laughs) the procedure. It's only a minute. And I'm like, well, I've been on the other side of things and those lasers are not cheap. Um, Mm -hmm. and they don't buy that tool because they want to be able to charge their patients a lot of Mm -hmm. money. They buy it because it's the best tool for the job. It causes the least amount of pain, the least amount of scar tissue. Um, it is very quick. It's accurate. It's the least amount of bleeding. Isn't that what we all want for our babies, mm-hmm. right? The least amount of trauma possible for something traumatic. Yeah. And then there's the training on how to use it properly. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, just because you found a dentist that has a laser does not mean they know how to release mm-hmm. a tie properly. They may have money to invest in yes. stuff like that. Have they invested in the training? Right. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's another question that we have to ask. So I think you bring up a lot of important points because, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm like a salesperson for other professions. Sometimes <laughs> when I work with parents, I'm like, look, I could be your lactation consultant, like, and have a lot of appointments with you, always giving you, you know, little things to do that would kind of maintain breastfeeding, but never really fix it. Mm-hmm. And I can make a lot of money off of that. Mm-hmm. Or I could send you for this procedure where you go pay someone else that doesn't pay me mm-hmm. and you could get that fixed. And then we're not going to work together for mm-hmm. that crazy long, or, you know, yeah. or you're going to give up breastfeeding or whatever. Right. So I try to tell people that. And I'm like, you know, I don't get kickbacks. <laughs> Chiropractors yeah. Don't pay yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. um, I think maybe sometimes we meet up and they might buy me like a coffee. So, but I feel like I'm buying them coffees all the time too. Like, it's just, you know, it is how it is. So I do think most people do have a pure heart and intentions when we get into this world of work because of parents like you, right? We're we're like, man, we don't want other parents to have to go through this. It sucks. I wish there was a better way. I wish we didn't have to do a surgery to help these babies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know you and every other parent out there wishes that too. So it's really important that you're sharing your story and, oh my goodness, I just, you know, have way more questions, uh, for you. And I think we could go on and on forever about things, but, um, where are things at now? Because you said at the beginning of the episode, you know, there's a lot that's transpired. Mari is 14 months now. Yeah. So you've gone from the stuff, you know, in the first few months of her life and then you know, you do these oral exercises and you're going to the chiropractor and you're still pumping and all of the things. So how do we tie into where you are today? Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, so we have um, we have a rambunctious, curious, uh, wonderful fourteen month old now, and um, you know I I mentioned that we saw immediate improvements for for many of Mari's symptoms. Um, some were within the first few hours, some were within the first day or so, some in the first week and month, but she actually still struggled with certain things for quite some time. Um, for about four months after her releases, Mari still clicked at the bottle. We no longer had to remove it from her mouth every suck in order for her to have control of the milk in her mouth and swallow it. So that was great. But um, we, we still had clicking. She still struggled at the breast in, in certain aspects. She still preferred only one breast. She refused the other. She would only nurse in a specific position. Um, she also always had extreme tension in the beginning. Post-release last year, it significantly decreased. We had um, five weeks of two sessions per week of body work, a combo of Cairo and CST for Mari. And then after that, five weeks of one appointment per week. She still had tension residual. It wasn't as much as it was, so the improvement was dramatic. Um, but she still had it. And after she hit certain milestones, so every couple of months, I realized that she would be more tense and we would need to kind of go back to the chiropractor and, and get her to have an adjustment. So when she started crawling around six months, we had to have an adjustment. When she started pulling to stand, we had to have an adjustment about a month and a half later. Um, and so every now and then we would kind of have to take her there. Um, she met most milestones within a typical range. A couple she hit very early because of her excessive tension. So it, um, you know, turned out that her tension actually caused her to be so stiff that she was rolling from her belly to her back at nine days old. And we thought, oh my goodness, she's so strong and amazing. And now I'm like, <laughs> Oh my goodness, she was like a stuffed armadillo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she most milestones within a normal range. And um, around 11 months, Mari was chatting up a storm. And um, one day somebody had asked me like, oh, is, you know, is, is Mari speaking now? And, and I made it a task of like noting at that moment all of the words that she was saying so it was like mama and dada and our dog's name and her cousin's name and she would say chicken she'd say chicken at like 11 months old she was saying chicken and asking for it and um yes and no so she had 21 words that she was saying regularly very regularly um and she was pulling to stand and i noticed um that when she was standing she would arch her back in a way that almost looked uh, like an uh, upside down question mark. And we always struggled with positioning with Mari. Um, she never really enjoyed cuddling. She seemed to want it, but we couldn't really ever get her in a position where she wouldn't want to wiggle out of it and find another position. So there are all these um, 
things that started sort of started happening. And then one day around 11 and a half months, she started hiccuping again, which was something that she did consistently when she was an infant. And then she started clicking at the bottle again. And then all of a sudden she went from saying 21 words to saying three. And she didn't pick up new words. And she started walking. She walked multiple steps, multiple times for a couple of days and then just stopped. And then her crawling went from a standard four point crawl to a weird kind of bear crawl. And all these things individually, I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. And I'd make note of them. And then one day I thought, oh, oh no. I think I'm missing something again. So around 12 months, around the time she turned one, I was like, I think something's up. I remember saying to my husband, like, I think something's wrong. And um, he said, well, you know, she's just, you know, we sort of chalked it up. She's just changing and, and, you know, she's going through a lot right now. And then one day we were outside, we had grilled up some food and we discovered that Mari loves corn on the cob and she has her little corn cob and she's eating in. And I go to pick a piece of corn out of her teeth. And, you know, she has now, uh, she's like 12 teeth. She has a crazy amount of teeth and her front teeth um, have a gap in them. And I went to pick a, you know, piece of corn out of her mouth and I lifted up her lip and I monitored her lip tie for nine months. I monitored it. I looked out for it to make sure that things were still okay. And they were, and here we are at just about a year old, just over a year old. And I look and her lip tie is back and it's Mm. complex and different. I was like, Ooh, so we went back to the Cairo and we went back to her um, dentist and it turned out that um, her lip tie had regrown. And it also turned out that Mari's buckle ties on her upper cheeks were now longer and thicker. And it was questioned whether or not they have actually had been causing her problems. So our uh, pediatrician, excuse me, our um, pediatric dentist and our pediatric chiropractor, you know, went back and forth and and really wanted to um, have input from each other. Should we address them? Should we not? We left them the first time because they didn't seem to be causing issues. You know, there's such little data out on them and um, they, you know, sort of were like, well, it could, it could be causing some problems. And after, again, a slew of bodywork sessions, um, it became very clear that Mari still had restriction. So just last week, we had a second round of releases for Mari where they, um, her dentist re-released her lip tie, um, which I watched the procedure this time and heartbreakingly helped to hold her down. Oh my goodness, such a terrible thing. And so tough at that age. Um, So tough. And that lip tie regrew with vengeance. 
-hmm. it was so thick. Um, and her buckle ties, I did not realize until they went in and like really opened up her cheek that they were long and they were thick. And something that's really interesting about that is um, that they were different lengths and thicknesses on each side of Mari's mouth. So on her right side, they were very thick and very long. And interestingly enough, Mari struggled with torticollis and her head always tilted to the right. And when she was an infant before body work, um, started, she would always tilt her head to the right. And when we nursed, the position and the breast that she preferred or would nurse in made it so that her head was tilted upwards towards the right. Mm, yeah. And right? Crazy. Yeah. So that was a struggle. But I have to say, that the difference in Mari, again, again, it happened. Within moments after the release, the difference in her is profound. We, <laughs> I took photos of um, being at the, at the appointment. Mari's um, feet were always curled and her toes were always curled. I took a photo of her just by chance. I didn't even realize I was capturing it. But just moments before the release, I took a photo and it captures her, her feet in this. Um, her feet have always been so bunched that I actually never put shoes on her because nothing fits. It's, it, they're, just like a, they're just a clump of foot, if you will. <laughs> it's not, they're not flat. They're not relaxed. Wow. Yeah. The photo that I took after her release, her toes for the first time are straight. Oh, and within 20 minutes, she unveiled that she knows two new words and started using the same words that she hasn't said for months now. Again, she is saying sounds that I've never heard her say. She's always said nah, and now it's no. She had never said an O oh before. She is discovering that she has the capability to screech, which like, you know, when my husband has a headache is not a great thing, but we just <laughs> laugh because we're like, wow, she, she never did that before. So she's screaming and screeching and she's lifting her head and looking up at ceilings. Our car has a moonroof. And she, I noticed yesterday we're in the car and she's in the backseat and she's just watching the sky. Um, and she is for the first time, she feels loose. And when I cuddle her, she doesn't demand to go in a different position. The difference is profound. So we have Incredible. had quite and did a journey. Her tongue re-released too, or it was just the upper. Her lip? tongue, um, her tongue tie actually healed beautifully. Okay. So that is still that's that was fine. Thank goodness because the stretches for the buckle and um, um, and the lip were were enough. Oh, much easier, <laughs> especially at that age. Well, my yeah. goodness, there is so much that you've been through, you and Mari, and it's not over yet. No. 
So um, I would highly, highly recommend to anyone who's listened to this episode, if you want to know more, go to Cassandra's page on Instagram. And again, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. It's the Unbound Network, all one word. And she continues to share some amazing information that I mean, we would have to make it like a five-hour episode to get into it. And maybe we bring you back for a part two, you know, I don't know, or part three. I might even split this one up into two parts um, because there's just so much here. And it's such a really detailed topic to cover. And there's so many nuances uh, along the way that you learn. And I am so happy that you are very connected and in tune with Mari. And I find that's the case 99% of the time. And for you to notice those things about her feet and the speech and just her looking up at the moon roof, these are those little things that like make this journey all worth it. Mm, yes. So I hope that at the end of the day, you do feel like you've done the right thing and it's been yes. worth it for you and Mari. I do. Thank you so much. Oh, Thank you for welcome. having me and letting us share our story. Oh gosh, how could I not thank you for sharing your story, not just on this podcast, but you know, in these groups, paying it forward, uh, paying it back to the people that helped you early on, and then putting some information out there on social media to help others. It's really, really invaluable. And if uh, Instagram ever deletes your page, I'm going to like go postal on them. So they better not, there's no reason for them to, but just, it's so good. Like I don't know. You should like do one of those things where you can do like the photo books from your Instagram posts of your kid, but you do it with like your educational posts or something. <laughs> Cause I just love it so much. So thank you so much, Cassandra, for everything you've shared with us. And I can't wait to see how this continues to unfold for you and Mari. Thank you. You're welcome. Did you know that most moms struggle to produce enough breast milk for their babies or wonder if they're able to provide enough? As a mom of two who struggled with my own breastfeeding journey and was led to become a lactation consultant who now supports fellow moms and their babies, I created a product for breastfeeding moms who struggle with the frustration of trying it all but still weren't able to make enough breast milk for their babies. I've taken years of research and clinical experience to create a natural, organic, herbal blend to holistically support breast milk production, to balance your hormones, and to restore nutrients back to your body postpartum. This is called the Advanced Lactation Formula by Holistic Lactation, and it's now available on Amazon. If you'd like the link to this product to learn more, just head to the show notes and check it out. Also, you can visit my website at holisticlactation.com to learn more.